Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network, proudly celebrating 16 years. Here's your host, Luke McCormack. Good afternoon and welcome to this special edition of the Federal Executive Forum celebrating 16 years of profiling IT mission programs in the federal government. This is our first annual Profiles in Excellence Chief Information Security Officer Program, which will be coming to you from the virtual studios of WTOP and the Federal News Network. I'm Luke McCormack, and during today's show, we will discuss cybersecurity trends and strategies at numerous government agencies and hear from the key leaders making them happen. With me on today's show are Wanda Jones-Heath, Principal Cyber Advisor and Chief Information Security Officer at the U.S. Air Force, Major General Matthew Easley, Director of Cybersecurity, Office of the Army, Chief Information Officer, U.S. Army, Shane Barney, Chief Information Security Officer at U.S. Citizen Immigration Service. Jim Richburg, Public Sector Field Chief Information Security Officer and Vice President of Information Security at Fortinet. Brian Dack, Senior Manager, Solutions Engineering at Okta. And Chris Roberts, Federal Technical Director, Quest Software Public Sector. Well, this is certainly a very big subject. And uh, we have a, a, a couple of folks here from the uh, from the armed services, and, and, and that certainly is a big subject in regards to delicate balance between enabling those uh, war fighters and protecting all those assets to keep the country st straight. Wanda, let's start with you. Give us a, a state of the state. How are things looking out there in the U.S. Air Force? You just recently broke out the, the U.S. Space Force, and now you got the Air Force. What's happening over there? Um, you know, good afternoon, and thank you for the opportunity to share uh, what's going on with uh, cyber within the department. Um, as you mentioned, um, I am the uh, principal cyber advisor and CISO for both the Air Force and Space Force. So that is uh, definitely a huge uh, undertaking. Uh, we are continuing to put cybersecurity first. Uh, my tagline um, for the last two years has been cybersecurity that works. Um, ensuring that we are an enabler and not a disabler. Um, we are starting to have um, a lot of conversations um, throughout uh, the enterprise, um, working with our lead command, um, uh, ACC, and the rest of the uh, team um, for, from um, continuing to modernize our um, enterprise. You know, cybersecurity is uh, certainly important. Um, we are working um, through a lot of uh, initiatives to include our zero trust journey. Um, EIT is a service um, ensuring that we have that rock solid uh, digital foundation. Uh, talent management is certainly a part of our uh, cybersecurity approach. And a lot of the executive orders on cybersecurity, um, the recent memo on critical uh, infrastructure uh, protection, uh, we are all in and ensuring that we are uh, making sure that we can uh, uh, meet our mission requirements, um, our operational requirements, while security is certainly um, at the forefront in everything that we do. I am busy. Um, my team is busy. Uh, we are collaborating, of course, across the, the DOD and the rest of the services. But um, you know, one thing that I know for sure, cybersecurity is certainly a team sport, and the department is all in. And uh, no question, you've got that broader reach, too, with the entire defense industrial base. And I'm sure that Zero Trust and some of these other things, really important pieces and elements of that. Major Easley, Major General Easley, 
Can you uh, describe sort of what's the state of the state going on over there? And maybe just describe, I don't think people realize how huge the army is and the daunting tasks that you have over there. Sure, I, excellent. Uh, good afternoon, Luke and uh, fellow panelists. Real honor to be here this afternoon um, to talk about cybersecurity in the United States Army. So our, our as, as Luke mentioned, the Army is probably the largest federal organization other than the, the Department of Defense itself. Uh, between the Army National Guard, the Army Reserve, and the traditional active component Army, we have more than a, a million uh, soldiers uh, supporting our nation. And then hundreds of thousands of civilians and contractors also supporting us. Um, understanding the cybersecurity of their digital needs is, is a huge undertaking. Uh, that takes tens of thousands of, of people to do. Um, part of our, our our journey over the last year was to actually establish an independent office of the CIO. Uh, so my boss, Dr. Raj Iyer, is the first independent CIO that the Army's had um, as a separate agency within the Secretariat. That allows him and, and in cybersecurity really to take a broader view of how to defend the network and all the assets on the network. Um, traditionally, we've been tied to our network operations team, our, our G6 side, um, mm -hmm. up until last summer. And now as a separate organization, it allowed us really to, to really expand that concept of, of cybersecurity to really look at all the different systems that we have in the Army, to have a much better look at our business systems, our financial systems, our human resources systems, and how do we kind of defend that application layer at a, at a, stronger, a stronger level. Uh, we've done a lot of uh, analysis of our critical infrastructure, of our power projection platforms, or our depots, our maintenance facilities, and how do we protect that operational technology at those systems? And then how do we how do we build that into a complete ecosystem? Um, if you look at the number of, I mean, I talked about the number of people we have, but the number of systems that we're authorizing, our authorizing officials, is staggering. We have thousands of of systems. Again, from IT systems to OT systems to weapon systems that we have to authorize. We have to understand those systems. We have to gather that data from all those endpoints and put them into a big data platform so we understand who they are and what they are. As Wanda discussed, uh, the president recently put out a zero trust strategy uh, for our, our, our federal government. Um, so we've been pushing in a number of areas um, over the last few months um, uh, based upon foundational work that we've done over the last years or even decades. Um, Zero Trust has a number of pillars, um, everything from endpoint security to trusting the users to understanding the analytics they're using on that system. So we've set those foundations um, and we'll talk more later on how we can use that and use that better to, to create a much more porous perimeter to, to allow more flexibility for our workforce um, and cybersecurity can help can help us do that. Wow, big Another, move to, to big snap. Move. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, Luke. I mean, another big move, and I'm sure we'll all talk about this, is a movement to cloud. Uh, cloud is going to enable our systems to expand at a global scale. It's going to allow us to fight under the, the, the concept of multi-domain operations. Um, and it's going to allow our workforce more flexibility. Um, and having cybersecurity solutions that were designed to work in a, in a cloud environment so we can move the solutions between an on-prem um, position to an off-prem has been critically important over the last year um, in the COVID-19 environment. Sure, big moves there, including snapping off the entire CISO organization and making it a, more of an autonomous. Uh, so you have that check and balance there. I think that's really important. I just can't imagine the tens of thousands of uh, vectors that you're trying to protect there and these embedded systems, et cetera. 
is got to be an absolute daunting task. And I know you've got a lot of capability out there that's helping you to do that. Jim, let's talk about maybe some of that technology uh, that's helping the, uh, the Army, the Air Force, all the war fighters protect these environments. You have a unique situation there where you can, you're striped across all these various entities and you're seeing it from a different viewpoint. Tell us what you're seeing out there. So, so good afternoon, Luke. And, and I really want to build on the, the comments that both uh, Wanda and Major General Easley have made. I mean, Fortinet is a big global company. We really are across the attack surface in terms of capability. But in terms of working with our federal partners, I'd really single out two things that I think are, are priorities for us right now. We've got, as Wanda said, this slew of executive orders and national security memos. So they have aggressive timelines and deliverables. So helping our federal partners accelerate that migration to the cloud and then helping them on the path to zero trust network access. Uh, you know, there are foundations, there are pillars, they are at different places in their maturity. And then, and, you know, to, to, to build on what Major General Leasley said, Post-COVID networks are not going to look like the networks we had in March 2019. Operational technology is coming on at a scale that we really hadn't contemplated prior to that. And software-defined networking. Most federal agencies have got a, a national footprint. In the case of the armed services, a global footprint. So the classic wired networks with Cat5 don't work. So helping them have the ability to gain the functionality and the capabilities of software-defined networking and do it in a secure fashion is something that we really are prioritizing. So the technology's there. And if everyone, anyone had the luxury of saying, I can do a Greenfields rip and replace deployment, I think the solution's easy. The challenge comes in helping them incrementally do this when they're just replacing one component at a time. Right. I mean, it's not a, a complete lift and shift. It's, it's more of a a, uh, a Lego block snap-in sort of best in breed. Speaking of which, Brian, uh, uh, Okta, really in a unique situation, really a, a unique space, a very important space to make sure this ecosystem is solid and secure. Tell us what you're seeing out there. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, uh, Luke, really what we're seeing is, is echoing what, uh, you know, Mrs. Uh, Jones-Heath and, and Major General Easley are mentioning around the executive order, very big push from across the federal government and meeting those uh, the requirements that are laid out in, in from supply chain security to zero trust architectures. And, and really what we're seeing is agencies are, um, you know, kind of specifically really taking a look at their needs around, uh, you know, how to build out a zero trust architecture, right? It's, it's not a... Um, it's not a, hey, I'm going to buy this solution and now I have zero trust. It's examining your existing solutions as, as Major General Easy was mentioning, right? There's, there's been a lot of investments over the last, you know, over decades that are going to be leveraged in those architectures, but then also looking at what they need to implement in order to, you know, achieve kind of that baseline uh, capability that will help them get, you know, kind of really move their organizations to that zero trust, you know, posture. Zero Trust, very important part of this, uh, this uh, apparatus and the Zero Trust architecture, right? Really important here. Chris, how about at Quest? You all, again, have a, uh, a unique situation there where you're, you're looking across the entire ecosystem. Uh, what are you seeing out there in regards to the, 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 the recent implementation of various techniques and strategies to secure these environments? Sure. Good morning, Luke, everyone. Thanks for the opportunity to speak. Um, Quest. Software has been a federal partner a better part of 30 years or three decades. Um, 
longer than I've been around, than all of us, quite frankly. Um, but what we're really seeing is with all the executive orders, yes, with the push to zero trust to the fast pace of modernization, what we realize is that there's significant technical debt in a lot of our agencies. And while we want to move like a bullet train, we're more like a 1860 locomotive trying to get to our destination. And what we discovered is if we can better help our federal customers understand where their infrastructure investments are, where their platforms are, where the services that run on those platforms and infrastructure reside. And then lastly, how those inner applications that are so critical to their operations, how they are using different components of those services, platforms and infrastructure, we can better help them. And I think the rush to get to a destination sometimes leads to many missteps. And by helping our federal customers understand all the components or that technical debt they have to sort of like reconcile before they can move faster is a key part of our strategy. So while yes, we are working in IT modernization. Yes, zero secure, zero, zero trust security, but also looking backward to help them understand exactly this is where your investments are. This is where the difficult legacy components of your platform are. For instance, um, we talked about Cat5 networks not working across the globe anymore. Yeah, so now you have to figure out exactly how do we now help them not just scale, but also secure and provide the best set of services on existing and as they migrate to new infrastructure. So we have a unique portfolio that allows us to both look backward into the current environment and also help them prepare for the future environments. Yeah, no question that technical debt uh, rearing its ugly head uh, as it always does. In some cases, a little bit of work done on that. Uh, certainly uh, recognizing now that there's a, a lot of uh, investment that needs to be made there. And, and let's face it, a, catap a catapult tectonic shift, if you will, into this new operating model based on what we all had experienced with COVID. Jim, let me uh, go back to you and let's talk about a specific program that you'd like to highlight. Once again, you, you're in a unique situation there where you see a lot of different things happening. Give us an example of one program that you'd like to highlight that, that's really making some progress in furthering this agenda. So I'm actually going to give you two, Luke. And we've already yeah. talked a lot about zero trust. And uh, you know, Matt talked about the multiple pillars. The difficulty with zero trust is it's got a half a dozen or more functions. And that means you end up with a lot of stuff to procure and maintain. So can you simplify? That's really the thrust of what we've been doing with a number of agencies. It's about a connection. So the minimum thing is you have two points. You have the user and you have the other end. But can you get it down to where you say, I have a software agent at the remote end, and then everything else is a Swiss army knife of functionality at the other end that can take care of authentication and the security and the policy enforcement? And the answer is yes. And we've got proofs of concept actually running with multiple cabinet level agencies to help them integrate with what they've already got. They don't need to turn all the functionality of the Swiss Army knife on, but to fill the holes in their zero trust model, they use those components. And the second part is software defined networking. Big federal agency, cabinet agency with a nationwide operating footprint, moving away from the wired infrastructure and supporting a mobile population outside the branch office and having some, some people who have law enforcement investigative responsibilities that mean they have to be on the dark web. So this is this intersection of the need for software-defined networking with zero trust. And this agency has actually rolled this out for all of their law enforcement component across the nation. So I, I, there really are good technologies that helping our federal partners figure out how to bring them on um, is something that we're proud of we've been able to do. Great technologies that have come into the environment just in time. Wanda, 
Um, you know, we talk about technical debt, and that certainly is an issue, but you all have almost the opposite as well. Though it's all this advanced capability in these technologies, in these weapon systems, in these aircraft, et cetera. I just can't imagine the, uh, the, the daunting task of, of making sure all those vectors are secure, et cetera. Why don't you give us an example of one uh, that you'd like to highlight, a program that uh, is really getting a handle on that? Hey, uh, thank you for that. Um, you know, Matt and Chris kind of mentioned something. Um, the balance of uh, understanding the security posture for the current uh, systems and then focusing on the new development, the future. Um, so what we're doing is ensuring that from a risk management standpoint, that we're able to kind of maneuver in both spaces. You know, the, you know, the weapon systems are very complex, but we also have business systems that we have to protect. And over the last two years, we use the uh, industry standards of penetration testing. That has allowed us to really dig into the risk and the vulnerabilities and identify them um, from a adversarial lens to be able to to make sure that we are protecting the data, the infrastructure, and all of that. So our fast track ATO approach has been working fairly well. We've used it um, in the F-35's full development area. We've used it in um, our operational technology area. And so we are trying to infuse uh, more of that approach um, across the department. Um, also, we are continuing to participate in hack the Air Force efforts. Um, we've done it on a number of critical systems, and we have certainly been able to close a lot of attack surfaces from using that type of approach. And we're continuing to push that. Um, it has been received very well. Um, a lot of the uh, new, um, like set their ops approach, um, with our Kesselron and Space Camp and Besvin have been um, very fruitful for the entire department when it comes to software development. And so those type of uh, industry uh, approaches is what we want to focus on in the future and now. That Kesselron story, amazing. Maybe we can get into that later. Uh, the Hack the Air Force, is that a sort of a crowdsource type thing where the public's coming in and, and hacking away, if you will, and then Absolutely. reporting that back to you? Fantastic. Uh, sorry. Yeah, absolutely. And we are in, I think, uh, Hack the Air Force 6 will be kicking off and, and we um, try to do a number of systems and we actually pick the systems based on uh, current um, security issues that we definitely want to uh, address up front. Outstanding. I was going to ask you uh, when that started, but if you're in number six, apparently it's been there for quite some time. So that's fantastic. Glad to see that. Nothing like some good crowdsourcing to help keep this country safe. All right, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Today, U.S. federal government agencies are constantly on alert for cyber threats to their IT infrastructures. The first critical step to hardening your agency's security posture is to modernize your active duty infrastructure. Quest Software is your go-to vendor for solutions to manage and modernize your AD infrastructure while securing your Microsoft environment from ever-evolving threats. Secure your AD with a complete lineup of solutions that provide IT resiliency. Learn more at questpublicsector.com. 
To ensure mission success, agency professionals must secure networks, devices, and data. To do this, they need broad visibility across attack vectors, plus integrated tools and automated self-healing networks. Fortinet Federal tightly integrates security with networking to simplify operations and improve agency cyber defense. Let Fortinet Federal help protect your critical information assets with consistent security at every edge. See FortinetFederal.com. That's FortinetFederal.com. Okta, helping protect your agency's remote workforce and ensuring government employees, contractors, and partners have simple and secure access to mission-critical applications from any device at any time. Okta allows you to create granular access policies based on user, device, network, and location context, as well as implement strong multi-factor authentication across all apps and VPNs. Learn more at okta.com government. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about, well, we're talking to several of the CISOs and talking about a whole bunch of security activities. And I'm going to throw it over to Chris. Right now, we're, we're asking uh, the panel members to talk about specific programs. And Chris, once again, uh, you are uh, uh, striped across the various public sectors, have a lot of viewpoints, so you, you see a lot of different things. Give us an example of a program that's really been successful in, in, in helping to uh, further the harden this ecosystem. Sure. So a lot of the work that we've been doing over the last year, quite frankly, is a result of what's been happening, not just in public sector, but also in the commercial space around crypto, around ransomware, and the dangers we're being seeing to both IT and OT technology. And while there's no specific program in place, um, the executive order was great. Um, but the funding has literally <clears throat> always been there to a certain extent. So we've had modernization funds available um, across the federal space for some years now. Um, we've had the data center consolidation program, which allowed us to do all kinds of modernization activities. And what we've been working with, not just our federal customers, but even on our commercial side, we've seen some of the same issues. Um, Colonial Pipeline, yes, that was a high profile, um, very impactful for, for the public, but we see that across the board, and that is there's a rudimentary focus now, um, both from a program funding standpoint, also at the, the, the layperson's view, that is, how do I protect my actual data? Um, and one of the things we actually focused on with a lot of organizations, especially in the public sector, um, was helping to focus on things, simple things like Active Directory. And I say simple, but very important. And we take that database for granted. And AD is literally a database. Um, and some of the first things that get encrypted or hacked or ex exfiltrated is the components and the data within Active Directory. Um, so we did work with a lot of agencies to help them understand exactly, look, it's not enough to just copy the Active Directory server to a offsite platform. It's more important now, how do you actually recover? Because a lot of time is spent on backing up, but not a lot of time spent on actual recovery testing and re reconstituting your entire network. Um, so we're able to one show them using some basic tools that we've had in our, our portfolio for a number of years to one how to protect that Active Directory infrastructure and restore that infrastructure on demand depending on the severity of the attack. Now, granted, you still need the three, two, one approach, three copies of your data in two locations, for instance, and also one offsite in the cloud and helping them understand exactly the best way to deploy that type of solution. And we found that that simple blocking and tackling activity of protecting the Active Directory attack surface, regardless of where your perimeter is, because we all know there's no more perimeter, quite frankly, thanks to COVID, um, and helping them do that effectively is the number one thing you can do to protect your environments against the threats of ransomware and some of the other things that are coming down the pipe, which 
quite frankly, some guy in the bug bounty program for the Army and Air Force right now. They're like, hey, what's the next thing we can basically unleash on the government? So by protecting the infrastructure at its most basic level, we protect it also at the application layer and also the edges of the perimeter for our customers. And we've been very successful doing that. So important, uh, you're bringing up, uh, you know, the pipeline incident and that recovery, you know, guards, gates and locks only get us so so far, so to speak, uh, perimeter not being there anymore, but being able to recover from an incident so important uh, to, to have a, a solid recovery plan uh, when and as needed is certainly very important. Uh, General Easley, um, uh, we talked about critical infrastructure. You've got critical infrastructure in every base across the world and they're their own cities in their own right. Um, give us an example of a program that you're working on that you'd like to highlight for the uh, community here. Great. One of the, the areas that I'm personally involved in um, because of its dislocation in the Army is our cloud enterprise management office, mm -hmm. the establishment of the of C Army, the Army Cloud. So a, a few years ago, the Army realized that we, again, were fast followers of the Air Force, uh, saw the great work they were doing with Platform One and Cloud One, and said we needed to have the same type of ecosystem to be able to, to, to deploy cloud systems um, for the Army. Um, again, tied to our financial systems, our, our identity systems, as well as just data from our critical infrastructure. Um, again, because the Army is so distributed, we see the cloud as kind of that key enabler to be able, because not only do we have um, 128 just major active camp posts and stations around the world, we have thousands of small armories um, and reserve stations all in our 54 camp, in our 54 territories and states. Um, to manage those thousands of systems is, is a challenge. And just being able to get that data from those systems inst instead of using our traditional IT architecture, being able to use a cloud-based architecture is key. As we roll out um, the Army Cloud, we've realized that we needed, as, as our, our sister services did, a DevSecOps pipeline within that, within that cloud environment. Um, and that's where cybersecurity comes in, is how do we do cybersecurity in the cloud um, and how do we use cloud native tools to do that? Um, our identity solutions, our monitoring solutions are all kind of kind of critical things that we're only just get, getting past our, our, our learning phases. Um, how do we upskill our cyber workforce, our cybersecurity centers to manage those cloud-based infrastructure is, is an ongoing um, kind of effort for our team. Um, one way we're doing it, as, as, as Wanda talked about, of the kind of hack the Air Force and hack the Army efforts, we have a similar effort in our in our our cloud environment called Cloud Thunder, where we we're using I mean kind of first our tabletop exercises, and then next year we'll actually bring in a cyber protection team from Army Cyber Command to help do penetration testing into our cloud environment just to help defend it better. Yeah, interesting concept there. You know, you, you, this uh, cloud technology really unlocks and unleashes a lot of capability, but it also adds another layer of sophistication. It's not like all the on-prem stuff is gone. So having that capability to sort of stitch that together in these hybrid environments, super important that you're able to lock that down and account for everything, identity management included. Brian, how about at Okta, speaking of uh, 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 clouds and identity management, et cetera, et cetera. Tell us about a uh, solution that you'd like, a program that you'd like to highlight there uh, that you'd like to raise awareness to the community. Yeah, okay. Yeah, thanks, Luke. Um, uh, you know, I was gonna kind of bring this back to the zero trust discussion, mm -hmm. um, but then I, you know, kind of took a second thought at that and said, well, no one's really achieved, you know, 
you know, the, the touchdown or spiking of the ball of zero trust, right? There's just, it's, I don't know that they will ever achieve that, right? Exactly. It's, Do they ever achieve it, right? Is that, or that does, does that go on forever, please? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think the biggest success that we're seeing out of that is really that agencies are looking at the systems differently, right? They're just, you know, starting to make moves, putting these, the, their security posture as, as a as top priority, you know, and, and of course, in the DOD, I think, you know, security has always been a, a critical aspect, right, in the Army and the Air Force, the Marines and whatnot, but across the civilian government, you know, agencies as well, you see them making the investments and really raising uh, the priority of those IT, IT initiatives and those investments. I think that's a critical aspect. And just um, going back to to what uh, Major General Easley and and uh, Mrs. Jones Heath were talking about, you know, we what we're seeing a lot of uh, uptake with the forces with you know with the Army and the Air Force are in some of those development shops, right? So in, in um, Kessel Run and Kobayashi Maru, uh, you know, in that DevSec ops arena, right? They, they are starting to embrace and, and actually have already implemented Okta as their identity and access management into those DevSec ops pipeline, right? And really be able to, to take advantage of that cloud solution and that security and, and, and the, the speed and agility that that gives them and, and be able to meet their mission. So it's, you know, those are some exciting areas. They're small pockets of, you know, kind of success that we're seeing, but uh, it, it kind of is the bellwether, you know, you see that, that sea change happening in, in the agencies. And I think that's the exciting part uh, to be a part of and to help, uh, you know, help the federal government and these agencies uh, move move towards this in their you know journey of and being able to combat you know all the things that, that Chris talked about right the ransomware and all that just the security vulnerabilities that we're seeing in the in the in the threat landscape today. Uh, those programs very much an early indicator of uh, what you're going to be expecting to see going forward. Well, let's talk about priorities and since. Uh, uh, it was cited uh, both Kessel Run and uh, Kobayashi, I think it was called, and I hadn't heard that one. Uh, Wanda, I'm going to bring it back up to you. Let's talk one. Maybe you want to just give a, a thumbnail of what those two programs are so the listening audience understands it since we've referenced it a couple of times. And then talk about what are your top uh, two or three priorities over the next year? Okay, uh, so Kessel Run and Space Camp and Bespin and Kobayashi Maru are software factories. Mm. Um, Kessel Run was the first one as the model. And basically, you know, cybersecurity was, was a huge part of this. Um, number one, you want to certify the process, the pipeline of how you develop and then infuse the security um, requirements into the testing um, so that the product comes out secure. Um, and, and the second part of that is uh, hardening the infrastructure. Um, as uh, Matt mentioned, um, we did do pen testing on the infrastructure uh, for Kesselron and all those software factories, as well as uh, Cloud One and Platform One. So we are infusing that type of approach across um, all of those efforts. Um, some priorities, you know, um, the, the main thing is to support the CSEP's vision of Accelerate Change and Lose, and we're doing that. Um, you know, from, you know, hardening our uh, infrastructures, whether it be network or software factory, as I mentioned, um, bringing uh, more emphasis um, on our operational technology and trying to, you know, balance 
um, you know, new development while also protecting um, our, our legacy assets. Um, migration to the cloud continues to be a huge priority, um, as Matt mentioned as well within the Army. So the, you know, there are, there's a lot going on, um, and I can go on for, for hours talking about all of the great efforts, um, you know, talent management. Um, certainly is a key piece of what I want to focus on, you know, in the next couple um, of months, because we know that in order to continue to grow and mature, you have to have the right talent. Um, and it's many skill sets that we require from architecture to cybersecurity SMEs to uh, data officers, um, AI, uh, ML, we, we need all of those um, type of uh, skill sets to ensure that the Air Force is able to uh, change and accelerate, um, or we will certainly um, be um, uh, continue to have challenges as we prepare um, to protect our assets. Interesting uh, to hear that, uh, and great to hear that you're embedding that security capability into those software factories. And as I understand it, it's actually, uh, you actually have uh, uh, airmen and women that are actually participating and, and are actually the, the the employees that are doing those software factories, which I think is fantastic to see that. So uh, great uh, progress in that area. Chris, uh, let's talk about at Quest, uh, the priorities that you're seeing over the next uh, year or so. Uh, give us the top two, you know, what's the demand signal? What, what, what are you focusing on these days? I'll tell you one thing I'm doing. I'm going back to Dev and telling you got to find cooler code names, okay? I mean, Kobayashi yeah, Maru, I'm like, <laughs> Anyway. I applaud the Air Force for allowing him <laughs> to use those code names. Hey, well, you know what? That's I think one of the luxuries when you're called Guardians and you literally control satellites with lasers. I think you can use whatever name you want. Sure. Um, I think the important thing we lose track of sometimes is that as we look to the future, and Wanda says something um, that we kind of glossed over, and as AI and ML, artificial intelligence, machine learning, or what I was taught, algorithmic intelligence, because we still are not really at artificial intelligence, quite frankly. But a lot of what we do in that space is highly dependent on the quality of data we put into that information pipeline. Um, and I remember watching a, a movie once and someone said, they're about to do something very um, significant. They said, confidence is high. To get to a high level of confidence around the result set that comes out of what I call the black box of machine learning is that you have to be really confident that the data that went in was exactly what you expected it to be. And I think that's a discussion that's going on across the entire landscape of, of machine learning and artificial intelligence. That is, what is the quality of data? What data sets are we talking about? How did we vet that data, for instance? How did we identify that data? Um, so one of the things we're looking at over the next one to two years is, and we've made significant investments in acquisitions to understand exactly one, how do we now tag and identify all the metadata, for instance, and all the data, the data that supports um, that metadata within an organization. Um, simple activities like identifying, well, where's the PII data, for instance, across the environments? We all know about the losses we've had um, at certain agencies where we've lost control of very important data sets, for instance, around you know, security credentials and things like that. So now how do you now identify where all the data is in an organization, catalog it, so if you are attacked, you know exactly what your losses are. Um, I think when we're attacked sometimes, <clears throat> it's easy to quantify things in economic terms, but in the softer world, for instance, well, 
if you lost all my PIA data, what is the risk to me as a citizen? What is the risk to an agency, for instance? Um, so understanding where all that data is, being able to tag it, catalog it, for instance, and when he hands it off to a special ops program that's doing DevSecOps, for instance, they understand exactly where that data is coming from, what security needs to be attached to that particular data set, for instance, and if that system is attacked, whether it's the application or the underlying databases, for instance, we understand exactly what the losses are, and we can mitigate those losses because we've identified that information. So that's just a piece of what we're looking at, aside from the other things in cyber, for instance, but we all understand that data is a critical component and we aim to protect that data too as well. Yeah, at the end of the day, the uh, the bad actors aren't getting in there to see how cool your network is set up. They're getting no, in they're there not. to get to the data, right? That's the bottom exactly. line. Jim, how about at Fortinet? Uh, what are your top two priorities there for the next uh, year and change? So Luke, I, I think everyone on this panel would agree that cybersecurity is never going to be perfect. We're never going to attain that state of, of perfect protection. So the, the big priority in working with our federal partners is, is now increasingly on response. It's saying we've got to recognize we're going to get hit. So in deference to the fact that we've got two armed services on here, the response needs to be both tactical, operational, and strategic. I need to be able to automate what happens when the device itself gets hit. I need to be able to automate, I need to have playbooks of how the people in the security operations center are going to respond. And then to elevate it strategically, I need to figure out how to federate that. And, and to build on what Chris said, to do that kind of auto automation and integration, there's a technology piece that is heavily dependent on artificial intelligence and machine learning. And, and I'll be a little bit contrarian. I think differentially, we have gotten better at doing that. Uh, it, it, in, in certain parts of it, like uh, sandboxing technology to discover malicious activity, we've gotten pretty good. I mean, look at a company like Fortinet. We see 100 billion pieces of data a day. We use all three modes of, of AI on it, the, the structured, the unstructured, go figure out what you're doing, and then the reinforcement learning. So it's gotten pretty good. But finding things in a minute or two is no longer good enough when you're talking about ransomware, something that gets in, moves laterally, starts encrypting right away. You need the ability tactically to say, I can give you behavioral analytics at the endpoint that are sophisticated enough to say, whoa, this doesn't match a signature, but this is something that looks like ransomware. It's behaving, it's doing something that is characteristic of something that, that I wanna stop in real time. And then figuring out how to offload the, the fact that our data, our analysts in the soccer drowning in data. I mean, we're, we're really problem and solution focused people in this field. The problem is that means for our enterprises, we've got 30 to 80 cybersecurity solutions that the poor SOC analyst is trying to manage. You need to offload that. And the technology has gotten good enough with AI and ML to do the grunt work, to automate the simple stuff and let our humans focus on the things that really require their skill and judgment. So really, Luke, it's about enabling better response, both tactically all the way up to strategically and saying shared situational awareness and the ability to automate as much of the ability to respond when something bad is happening in real time as we can. Really getting some of those sophisticated tools in place. And as, I, as somebody had mentioned one time, taking the robot out of the human and allowing them to do some of that higher value, higher order type of uh, analysis, super important. We're going to take another short break here and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. 
To ensure mission success, agency professionals must secure networks, devices, and data. To do this, they need broad visibility across attack vectors, plus integrated tools and automated self-healing networks. Fortinet Federal tightly integrates security with networking to simplify operations and improve agency cyber defense. Let Fortinet Federal help protect your critical information assets with consistent security at every edge. See FortinetFederal.com. That's FortinetFederal.com. Today, U.S. federal government agencies are constantly on alert for cyber threats to their IT infrastructures. The first critical step to hardening your agency's security posture is to modernize your active duty infrastructure. Quest Software is your go-to vendor for solutions to manage and modernize your AD infrastructure while securing your Microsoft environment from ever-evolving threats. Secure your AD with a complete lineup of solutions that provide IT resiliency. Learn more at questpublicsector.com. Okta, helping protect your agency's remote workforce and ensuring government employees, contractors, and partners have simple and secure access to mission-critical applications from any device at any time. Okta allows you to create granular access policies based on user, device, network, and location context, as well as implement strong multi-factor authentication across all apps and VPNs. Learn more at okta.com government. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. This is our first annual Profiles in Excellence with the Security Information Security Officers. We're talking about priorities right now, and I'd like to send it over to General Easley. I know there must be an incredible amount of priorities in the Army. You certainly talked about the, uh, the, the cloud journey you're on. Give us your top three priorities that are uh, uh, you're going to be rolling out over the next uh, one or two years that you're focusing your attention on. Excellent, and thanks for the opportunity. Uh, in the Army, one of the key areas that we're trying to speed and improve our workforce is in the risk management framework and how do we accelerate and automate our authority to operate. So there's a, the, the federal government has a fairly structured methodology to approve systems that we put onto our network make sure that they're approved, that we understand what they're doing, that we know what data is being generated by them and what we're doing and how we're protecting them. Um, finding ways to make that system faster uh, and more secure is critical for our systems. Uh, one way we're doing that is to really focus kind of setting the foundation and the prepare step of that process. So we know what, what are we trying to protect and then how are we gonna protect it throughout its life cycle. So we see continuous monitoring as one of that key, key factors of how do we instrument these systems how do we upskill our, our workforce to really look at, at what's going on in those systems as, as other panels have talked about? How do we know what, what normal looks like? So we have kind of that baseline. So we can use artificial intelligence and machine learning to, to see the, 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 the deviations from that, that normal point. Another key piece is our identity credential and access management piece. There's a big push within the Department of Defense um, over the last year or two to really establish an enterprise approach for that for for both the services and the Department of Defense at, at the whole. We all get our identity from from kind of a high level system that a lot of the federal government uh, is sharing. So our our identity credentials are, are work not just within the Army, but also across the DOD and in, and even into the federal space. But we have to get that beyond just just on our traditional endpoints. And how do we use that same identity management solution to work in our, our legacy databases? How do we get it to work in our cloud environment so I can move um, either physically or virtually throughout the system and have our identity follow us there. And we can, again, trust our systems. And then finally, again, it was a number of us talked about it, is our workforce. 
Uh, we, we've been going through a zero-based review as the National Defense Authorization Act of 2020 required all the services to do. So we've spent a lot of time, a lot of introspection over the last six months looking at our workforce, looking at our software developers, our mach machine learning uh, folks, um, our, our cloud technicians, all these kind of different aspects of our cyber IT and our cybersecurity workforce. And how do we want to kind of upskill, um, find gaps, find the roles of our, our Department of Army civilians, of our soldiers and contracting workforce that's going to really help create the cybersecurity solutions um, that we need. Really focus adding attention on that workforce, so important in the future workforce, right? What, what does the workforce need to be in the future based on uh, all the signaling that's going on here? Brian, how about at Okta? Give us your top priority, top one or two priorities for this year. Yeah, it, it's interesting. So as uh, Major General was, uh, easily was mentioning um, about identity and credential, you know, the ICAM solutions, one of our big priorities, of course, at Okta being a identity as a service uh, provider is really to continue, uh, you know, providing and, and establishing this identity platform uh, to be really that key pillar, identity pillar, or, uh, you know, critical aspect of, of our customers, you know, security architectures. And, and as well, as part of that, you know, we're increasing, you know, investments in things such as, you know, FedRAMP High and the DOD impact levels. In fact, you know, the Air Force is our, is our sponsor for our um, impact level four. You know, we mm -hmm. have our provisional authority to operate and uh, we're going working with the Air Force A1 uh, as our mission owner, uh, really going through and, and raising our level of security so that our customers have, uh, you know, confidence in that we can provide this kind of essential piece of their security infrastructure. Uh, those are really kind of the two key things, right, that we're, that we're focused on today is, is continuing to invest, providing that, that ICAM solution for uh, our, our customers in order to, to give them that kind of speed and agility so they're not having to um, invest or, or build out this, this ICAM infrastructure on their own um, are really the key things, Luke. Right, and that IL-45, a high, high, high FedRAMP environment, super important as we, we all move into this, uh, this cloud journey. Uh, well, I wanna ask uh, both Wanda and uh, the general, uh, uh, you know, you talked about these priorities. What, what, what's your, your top challenge in implementing those, right? What, what, what's the biggest barrier? Is it funding? Is it, is it re you know, just general resources? Is it the skill set? I know it's sort of all of the above, but maybe there's other things, policy, governance. There's lots of things. What would you pick as sort of your, your top thing that you're, you're working on to make sure you can enable those priorities? Wanda, let me start with you. Yeah, you mentioned a couple um, important challenges, but I would also uh, say the top one is uh, probably policy. Um, what we recognized um, as we went into telework, um, you know, because of COVID is we had a lot of policies that were outdated. <clears throat> and in order to uh, pivot as quick as we did, we had to address some basic, um, you know, policies that probably um, if we didn't have COVID would have still been in place. Um, we pivoted so fast and broke down, you know, barriers with policy working across OSD and DOD and with the other services on, you know, how can we ensure that as we uh, maneuver in this new environment um, that we have uh, policies that represent 
um, the current state of affairs um, from internal and external um, pressures. And so policies, you know, continue to be something I want to work on processes, you know, automation, you know, but you got to understand your process, you got to understand where your, where your challenges are with your processes, and then reinvigorate them, and then automate, because um, we don't want to automate bad processes. So policy and process, and then top that off with uh, talent. Okay, yeah, really important, super critical areas. Uh, I saw, with uh, with all due respect to my good friends over at OMB, this telework policy that was coming out. I said the telework policy is everyone's doing it, right? That's the policy. Uh, generally, easily. Let me ask you: uh, top barrier, top challenge uh, as you go on this journey uh, to secure your environment, move to the cloud, etc. I concur with Wanda. I mean, a lot of a, a lot of our current issues is just policy. We have not uh, given enough mm -hmm. guidance in, in a lot of areas. Um, we, we will tell our acquisition community that they need to go follow a NIST standard or they need to develop a cybersecurity strategy, but we don't give them say, well, you really need to do this to enable some capability uh, so we, we can see it. So we have better assets, we have better bills, bills, better visibility of these assets or that we can defend the assets better. Uh, we, we see standardization is a, is a key part of that. So that the, the, the network infrastructure, the, the data, uh, both from just the operational data and the cybersecurity data is coming off of our, again, hundreds of thousands of endpoints in a consistent manner so it can get put into our data platforms and our, 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 our cyber defenders can then, can then manage that in a coherent environment. Right now, our cyber defenders, when we, we have a breach, when we have an incident, they have to go in and, and do a lot of cyber surveillance just to just to start doing their job. And that's expensive and it's time consuming. Um, having these better standardizations where we know what each of one of these thousands of camps, posts and stations looks like so that when there is an incident, um, as our other panelist says, we can react faster. And we can in fact, in, in fact react at machine speed and not necessarily at human speed. Very important. Well, um, we're going to uh, wrap it up with this last question that we like to uh, end and close out with. And I'm going to start with you, Chris. The question is around what does it look like two to three years from now, right? What, what are the what's the, the demand signals that you're seeing out there? What's uh, maybe out of the Petri dish, but not in full production uh, in regards to Quest? For sure. So the obvious thing that we often overlooked um, is comes back to the last question around challenges. And Wanda hit on the head is like process, policy are very important. And I like to put them into three buckets, people, process, and platforms. As a technology provider, um, all the investments we're making, both tactically for the current environment and strategically for the future, are based on process, improving processes, and platforms. And those are technical areas that we excel in. The part that we have trouble with and the part that we um, probably will have to invest in both from a, a company organization as well as a sales and a customer relationship standpoint is the people side of things. Um, it's very easy to bring technology into an environment. It's very difficult to get people to adapt and incorporate that technology into their workflows. So a lot of things we're working on, quite frankly, are around automation of, in our tools, um, a lot of automation. And it comes back to something we talked about earlier, that's confidence in the data. If you're going to automate something, like Wanda said, you can't have a bad process. If you automate a bad process, you just make things infinitely worse. I mean, what it says, to err is divine, but to error um, you know, significantly requires a computer. I forgot the exact quote is, but 
you now look at the way we are doing our platforms and our processes and how we automate them is going to be very critical. So a lot of investment is around that, basically automation with delivering a system that our customers will be satisfied with to the point where the people side of things will be easier. So when, when the general and want to go into an environment says like, hey, this is what we're going to do, it's as easy as flipping a light switch. And that's where we have to get IT to. Um, we talked about incident response and doing a lot of data collection around an, uh, an incident and how, how much time it takes. The more investment we make around making that process easier for our end users, and that's what this comes down to, how our end users respond, how they react, and how they can have confidence in the systems that we're giving them is where a lot of our R&D actually goes into. So while it's easy to craft systems and build them in a laboratory, um, we now have to figure out exactly what's the best way to get those into the hands of actual people and make them comfortable with those new processes and confident in the platform and the underlying data structures that are supporting the things we're bringing to market. Confidence, very key. Brian, how about at Okta? What's it going to look like a couple of years from now? Yeah, no, Luke, I, th I think the the way that we're seeing kind of the identity landscape that, that Okta plays in, in shaping out over the next couple of years is, is folks really, um, agencies really looking at identity uh, with a wider uh, spectrum view of this, right? Um, currently, I think that uh, we, we tend to you know, pigeonhole identity into, you know, say in the, in the, you know, network area or in the applications that you're deploying, you know, we're only worrying about uh, identity in those, those silos. And, and really I see uh, that our agencies and our customers are really realizing that identity affects, you know, such, you know, a, a pivotal aspect of all access and whether, you know, whether it's, you know your your citizens coming, your citizens or, or customers coming in uh, and and accessing and, and providing services uh, through you know citizen engagement or citizens applications. Um, you know ensuring that that is a secure and uh, you know modern experience for for your customers, as well as for your employees. Right, that um, your contractors or employees as they're coming in, really it's you know can they safely use whether it's you know a networking piece of equipment where they're you know doing software defined uh, networks or, or software defined perimeters uh, or whether it's um, you know just accessing a, a productivity application right being able to, to secure that and provide um, that that pivotal piece you know provide friction where needed uh, ensure that the, the right person has the right access to the right information at the right time from the right device, all the way through is really a critical aspect that um, I think we're going to get to. And I think that's, you know, establishing kind of identity as one of those primary cloud capabilities, right? Identity as a service doesn't, you know, as you think of like platform as a service and, you know, infrastructure as a service, you know, I think our vision is that you're going to start to think of as identity as a service, right? As an underlying service that provides all those capabilities across the spectrum of access. Identity really key. They talk about data as the new oil, and, and certainly identity is right there with it. Jim, how about at Fortinet? What can we expect over the next couple of years? So, Luke, it's all about convergence. It's the convergence of networking and security. To to you know, build on Brian's point, 
What we need to do is enable and secure connections between users, data, and compute resources, regardless of the location of any of the three. It's not a conversation about, am I in the cloud? Am I on-premise? Am I doing edge computing? It truly should not matter. It should be about saying, you need the data on demand. You need it to be secure. We did work from the office. We did work from home. Now it's work from anywhere or for my DOD colleagues, it's be prepared to fight from anywhere, which they've always had to do, but in an increasingly digital fashion. So genuinely, it's about saying security and networking are increasingly going to be inseparable. We got to break down that I'm going to do it. I'm going to make an IT decision and then I'm going to figure out how to secure it. The two, as we saw during COVID, when we supported that pivot to remote telework, it succeeded because we provided the capabilities in a fashion that was secure, that's the future. It's about enabling these connections and I no longer care about location for any of the assets involved in that transaction. Right, very, very key aspects of uh, uh, locking this stuff down and doing it in a, in, in a fused manner. Major General Easley, um, if I'm coming out of the academy or I'm coming out of boot camp and a, a freshly minted uh, officer, or a soldier, and I look around in two years, what can I expect to see? Is somebody going to hand me a laptop and say, go fight the good fight? Or what are we going to see? Well, great, great, great lead in. And uh, I'm going to tie this to, to Jim's concept of convergence. Uh, we have um, so many organizational networks right now in the Army. We're, we're collapsing those and, and bringing them into a true enterprise system. And not only are we doing that at kind of the traditional IT system, um, we're going to have to create that infrastructure to work uh, around the around the globe that are, will work in our tactical networks, that will work on host nation networks, and will work in, in, in people's houses. So it goes to, 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 your, to your laptop, Luke. I want to be able to take my laptop and trust that it has access to Army systems wherever it is in the world, and that I don't have to change its security posture. Because I, I know if I'm using a host nation um, uh, infrastructure or if I'm using my home infrastructure that I can trust the data that I'm generating. I can trust that network access that I'm, I'm getting. That's rarely, we know we have to get there for, for our army. Um, we have to get it for our traditional IT systems and we even have to get it for some of our, our weapon systems as well. Uh, we want our soldiers on the battlefield field to be, um, to be tied to the network so they can get that situational awareness information that they need. Um, so that that they can get that real-time feed of this is where your next logistics drop is, or this is where your your next movement is, or this is where we think the enemy is. Using using this broader digital ecosystem to fight our wars is a critical change that the army is, is migrating to over, over the next few years. Every soldier deserves to be enabled, and they certainly are, and they'll get so even more so in the future and, and feel confident about that enablement and the information that they're getting. Well, as we wrap it up here, Wanda, we're going to ask you to take us home. And, and who better to talk about the future than the CISO at the Air Force? Uh, tell us what it's going to, you know, what, what do you envision uh, the, the environment's going to look like in a couple of years? You've got a lot of things going on there. What do you expect to see? Um, similar to, you know, what Matt mentioned, you know, at the end of the day, it's about the warfighter and ensuring they have access at tactical edge um, and that they understand that the data is secure. Um, so when decisions are made, they are comfortable um, that cybersecurity um, is in place. Um, the data is, um, you know, there and, and, and available. Um, and also, you know, from a supply chain perspective, being able to procure and develop 
uh, systems and capabilities, knowing that um, from end to end that cybersecurity um, is there. Uh, and lastly, you know, responding and recovery um, efforts. You know, if we are uh, attacked um, from an adversary, that we are able to pivot and, and recover and respond appropriately. And to do that, you must have cybersecurity um, as the baseline. Um, I am comfortable that cybersecurity is now maturing enough to where we are in the conversations early and often. Um, we are enabling um, the mission to go forward in, in, in a great fashion. And I appreciate the opportunity to share um, a lot of great things that the department is working um, with our partners um, there with the Army, um, as well as the Navy and our partners in industry. Well, thank you very much. And uh, that's gonna wrap it up for us. I'd like to thank all of you for one, for your service, for fighting the good fight every day for all the partners that help us make this, uh, this uh, environment uh, secure and enable these capabilities. Um, I'd like to thank the sponsors for supporting us on this show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.